Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Idly hey! Welcome to another episode of The Brett Allen Show. Prepare to be astonished! A pop culture podcast. Join Brett Weekly as he interviews your favorite celebrities from film, <gasps> oh, television, I'm back in business, baby. comedy, and much more. Inconceivable! Plus, you never know who will stop by. Dude, we are so gonna party! Now, here is your host, Brett Allen. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of The Brett Allen Show, a pop culture podcast where we interview your favorite actors from film and television, movies, all over the place, wherever pop culture is existing. Uh, You will find us there talking to amazing people. And today's guest is the super talented Kevin Chapman. We at the show here have been working on this for quite some time. He's a very busy individual. He is coming to us live from Massachusetts as we speak. Uh, and uh, we have a lot of things to talk about. Kevin, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. Well, I think most people would probably know you from person of interest or perhaps, uh, I mean, there's just a lot of things, but you have a film that just came out recently. And of course you were on, Kevin can F himself as well. You did that show and we'll talk about all that, but let's talk about Coda because this is pretty current for you. Correct. As far as projects and unless I completely am wrong, please. Yeah, correct no, me. It's, a, it's a, it's a beautiful film that is uh, presently um, you can see on Apple TV. It was the, the uh, largest acquisition uh, of a film in the history of the Sundance film festival. Really? Uh, yeah. It's a really beautiful movie and, CODA stands for a child of a deaf adult. Um, and the film was shot right here in Massachusetts, up in, in the Gloucester area. Um, and it was, uh, you know, my contribution to the film. Um, as I say, I, I like to say I'm just a passenger in the vehicle. Uh, really, the story is about the family. Um, and, and it's a beautiful story. And for me, it really... It was something when I read it, I have five cousins who are deaf and mute, uh, one who is blind and the other. And, and, and um, so when I read the story, it really, uh, you know, really struck home with me. Um, but it was a, it's a it's a beautiful film. Um, Sean uh, Hader was a director. Uh, she um, did. I saw her her first film that she did. Well, the first film that I, I, I familiar with her work is a film that she did called Tallulah, uh, back, okay. uh, a couple of years back. Uh, and it, that was, um, that was Allison Janney, who I'm such a huge fan of. Uh, if you've ever seen the, 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 uh, the movie Tanya about Tanya. Oh yeah. She, she's Allison amazing. Janney plays the mom. She's just like blows it out <laughs> of the water. But um, yeah, it's a beautiful film. It's a it's a coda stands for a child of a deaf adult, and um, what really made this this uh, story so interesting to me was um, there's one child who can hear. Everyone else is hearing impaired in the family, um, and she is kind of the ears of the family. And the family is very 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 close and in a very close knit family, um, and and she develops an interest to become a singer which of course it's the one thing that the rest of the family can't participate in. So it's, um, 
it's it's a really beautiful story. If you get a chance to check it out, it's on Apple TV. And I'll tell you, I I have a funny feeling it's going to get nominated for Academy Award this year. I really do. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I had seen it. I came across it on. A, I just am kind of late to the party with Apple TV within mm-hmm. the last few months, and I I I guess I underestimated how much amazing content is on this platform. It's it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I've watched pretty much, you know, all the original series, uh, you know, that they've produced and, of course, a bunch of other things in their movies, too. And I find it interesting. I would love to get your take on this It's because we're talking about it. I mean, you've been in the industry for a very long time. You've been a part of a lot of big projects. You've done smaller, independent type things. You've done a lot of movies, obviously. But Apple TV seems to be from my perspective i don't know if competitor is the right term but they're definitely have skin in the game as far as creating original content and now even major motion picture type films i know tom hanks has done a few films for them and that sort of thing obviously theaters i don't think are going anywhere i think people thought they might during the lockdown and things but is this kind of like the golden age of entertainment per se, as far as like how much access people have to content and being able to watch pretty much anything, you know, really, at least from my perspective? Well, you know, I kind of see it as a double-edged sword. Okay. Uh, There's a tremendous amount of content there. Um, But then there are beautiful films like this. I kind of get lost in that herd of content. Okay. Um. So it's, you know, it, it, it's really, for me, it's, 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 it's great that there is so much opportunity and there is so much opportunity for filmmakers to, to, to have their voice heard. Um, but you, there's so much competition in trying to find an audience for this content. Okay. That, you know, beautiful projects and like I say, such as Coda, you know, a lot of people haven't seen him, whereas maybe 10 years ago, that film would have a huge theatrical presence and then it would kind of roll out into the secondary markets, um, you know, with Apple and Hulu and Amazon and um, all these other platforms, which, as I say, which are great because it, it gives more opportunity to get content, um, you know, developed, but it, it you know on the other hand it sometimes gets lost a little too you know yeah i i could see that being a thing you know i mean right. i kind of self-admitted a little bit just being late to the party with that particular streamer right but then you know i know like netflix and hulu their algorithm kind of recommends things this movie i saw it and of course i know you're in it and other folks and so i was like well right. I have to watch this because it's a really a beautiful film. So that was a little bit more of the accelerant, so to speak, to try and talk to you about this stuff because it's just fascinating that, you know, this movie is just so brilliantly written and I mean, everything about it is fantastic. And I really hope it does get a nomination because, you know, I think that uh, it's certainly worthy of it for sure. Oh, it's so good. I mean, the girl, Amelia Jones, who is the lead is just, you know, she's just amazing. She's really super, super talented. Um, You know, you have uh, Marley Matlin is in it as well. Um, You know, I mean, there's really no big star per se, other than, other than Marley Matlin, Um, you know, um, 
Troy Kotzer, who plays the dad, is just really, you know, just a, a great, great actor. Daniel Durant, who plays her brother. Uh, and these are all hearing impaired actors and actresses. Um, and it's just, it, it was, it was such a great experience to see it have the, the success that the film, you know, has had. I mean, to be truthfully honest with you, I didn't know if it was going to work. You know, I didn't know as we were making the film, like I was just, there were days I'm just saying to myself, like, I hope this works, you know, because I didn't, I, I just didn't know if it would. I just didn't know if it would, if it would translate to an audience, if it would, if it would find its audience. And um, Sean Hader did something that I thought was brilliant. Um, halfway through the film, she drops the sound in the film so that the audience can experience Mm-hmm. For a brief moment in time, what it's like to be hearing impaired, and it's um, she she just did an amazing job. I've got I've got the utmost respect for her as a filmmaker. Um, she had a vision that I definitely didn't didn't have, um, and that's probably why she's the director and I'm the actor. <laughs> yeah, it's I funny. People, I just wear makeup for a living. That's all I do. I wear makeup for a living. <laughs> yeah, I think Ray Liotta said that uh, mm-hmm. this recent uh, Sopranos prequel. I had several of the cast and a lot of them are younger actors. Right. And I think we, he said the same thing to one of the cast. He's like, you just, you get to dress up, you get to put on some makeup, put some right. gel in your hair for a living. And you just have to trust the creative process of the directors. Right. Even yep. with that, he felt the same way too, because right. you talk to somebody like that, who's like the icon of, of gang mobster films. And if he, so it's interesting when you take on a project, and as a side note about the sound dropping, for a minute I thought my speaker went out on my television because I was like, wait a second, this is uh, weird. And then all of a sudden I caught on to the fact that they obviously made a choice to do that so people right. could connect with the the actors. And I like the fact that they chose hearing impaired performers as well and didn't maybe go another route where they're like we talked about that and that's and that's you know that's what sean said to me she said you know she says i have to she says this is an opportunity for for the you know a great opportunity for for hearing impaired actors and actresses to you know to 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 do their thing you know she's like how could i not give them the you know give them that opportunity how like how could i you know take that opportunity away from them and put someone in that's, you know, well known or, you know, sure. that has a, a better Q rating or what, you know, whatever it is that they, whatever it is that they use at the studio to, to, to determine who's going to, you know, be part of the project and not. And uh, yeah, she's, you know, hats off to her. I mean, she's, she, she did, I think she personally did a, a phenomenal job and, and, uh, and she definitely made a believer out of me. Yes, a Q rating. That's funny. I haven't heard that term in quite some time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> definitely old school. Yeah, and it's it is interesting how they do make some choices mm-hmm. in uh, some of these projects. Well, when you're taking on a project like this and you accept it and you decide you're going to be a part of it, and then you kind of get in the middle of those moments, like you mentioned, where you're like, I don't know, this seems kind of weird. You know, this how is this going to play? Like at what moment do you have that break and go, okay, this is going to work. It could be anything that you've been a part of. You know, I don't know if you've felt that way about other projects that you've been involved in. I mean, there's got to be a moment where you just allow yourself to kind of let the artistry take over and, and you just give that trust to the, the people who are making the project. 
The only time that I've ever, I've only had that experience one time where, where I walked back to my trailer and I said, this was, is when I, when I did the film Mystic River with, uh, really and and Tim Robbins and Kevin Bacon and of course directed by Clint Eastwood. And, and I remember, um, it was the, it was, uh, the scene where we take Tim Robbins' character down to the, the Mystic River and we kill him at the end of the movie. Um, oh, so iconic. And, and I remember when we came back, uh, myself, Sean Penn, and Tim Robbins, all our, all our trailers were lined up. And, and we all almost at the same exact time stepped on the, the top step, stepping into our trailer. And we all looked down at each other and it was nothing said, but it was everything said. And we just, all three of us, me, Sean was in the middle. I was, Tim was on one end I, and, Sh- and I was on the other. And Sean just kind of looked back and forth between Tim and I, and we all just kind of looked at each other. And as I say, nothing was said, but yet everything was said. And it was just like, that was, that was, that was something right there. And that's the only time I've ever done something where, I was like, okay, this is this is some special stuff right here, you know. Everything else, I've just, you know, I mean, you always have to turn your, your trust over to to the director, or if you're in television, the producer, or you know, um, you know, I mean, in person of interest, I mean, Jonathan Nolan, uh, you know, you look at his body of work. Um, I didn't know if Preston Adventures was going to work. I never knew that it was going to go on to be a top 10 show and have the life that it's had. Um, you just, you know, you put it out in the atmosphere and just hope that it comes back to you, you know, and comes back to you with a smile. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so interesting because when I talk to what I consider to be, you know, and I say this genuinely amazing people, amazing actors like yourself who have been a part of television history like that, I was talking with somebody else yesterday about NCIS and JAG and how it's been so long since that project, you know, and they go back and they watch it later and it lasts for five or six seasons. But every season, I think what people don't get is there's really not like a guarantee necessarily that that show is going to get picked up again or come back um, no matter how good it seems at the time, you know, because Mm -hmm. that's just how it works, I think, with television. Yeah, no, it does. And, you know, and, and, and sometimes there, you know, sometimes there is a bit of business that takes place behind the scenes that, that, you know, that you have no control of. In the case of person of interest, you know, we were a Warner Brothers show that was aired on CBS. Now, if we had been a CBS show for CBS, we would probably still be there trying to figure out what, to, you know, how we're going to keep telling this story. Um, but you know, it, it's, you know, it becomes a business thing to, you know, do you put a pool on a home that you own or do you put a pool in the home you rent? You know what I mean? And that, it's really that simple. You know, yeah. it, it, like I said, if we had been CBS for CBS, it probably would have went on for, you know, 10 years. You'd you know? probably still be on maybe. Probably. I'd probably still be trying to figure out how to make fuss go interesting, you know, <laughs> um, I don't know. I think you could probably figure it out. You're yeah, my writers were very. The writers were very gracious to me. You're only as you're only as good as what's on the page. Yeah. Well, I want to jump back to Mystic River because you mentioned how I mean that movie is just. 
iconic. And if, if nobody has seen it that's listening or watching, you have to. It's available. Working with Clint Eastwood has to be just one of... I've heard he's a very interesting director. He's not like normal directors. It's just different. And I've heard stories it's because... He used to do westerns and work with horses and, and all kinds of stuff. But what was your experience like working with Clint? Because I imagine it had to be just so... I don't even know how to put it into words or characterize the experience. So I do Mystic River with him. And um, I was in Flags of Our Fathers as well. Um, but he cut me out of the film. Uh, <laughs> and and when I saw him, I said I said... I saw him at a premiere or something. I said, I said, boss, how's our movie looking? He says, well, Chappie, I got good news and I got bad news. <laughs> I said, all right, give me the good news. He goes, good news. I got a great film. Bad news. You're not in it. <laughs> uh, but uh, that was a horrible Clint impression, but um, I liked, one, I think you did one pretty of good. My, one of my favorite stories with Clint, um, you know, Clint Eastwood is a man um, he's, you know, he's about the work. He's not about, you know, how many f fans you have on your Twitter. He's not, you know, he's about like, let's go in there, do the work, do a great job and get out of there. You know, um, you're going to get maybe two takes. If that, you know, sometimes you don't even get that, you know, sometimes he's moving on one, you know, so you better have your A game. Uh, and I've, I've, I've asked him about this. I said, you know, I said, Clint, how come? You know, how can we do one take, maybe two, and you move on? He says, I've never seen anything in take nine that I didn't see in take one, you know? Wow. And he's a director that that he's cutting the film in his head. So he'll, you know, he may do a close-up of, of, of an actor or an actress, and they may flub a line maybe halfway through the, you know, whatever the, the monologue or speech, whatever it is that they're, that they're giving, and he doesn't care. He'll take it anyway because he knows that at that second half, he's going to be on his other actor or actress, you know, wow. or he's going to be in a you know, out the window or whatever. He's going to be somewhere else other than there. So um, which is, you know, which is great. I mean, to you know, uh, I've worked with Alejandro Rutu, who is a guy who, you know, brilliant director, likes to shoot film. You know, Tony Scott. I worked with Tony Scott, you know. He was a guy that, you know, everything was done uh, on, on on a dolly track. So yeah, that's kind of his thing. When the camera was on you, like he would put you in the middle and just keep going around you with the camera. So you never, you know, if you watch any of his movies, they're all, it's always, there's always movement involved. I love him know? and his brother's movies. I yeah, mean, Tony was a, I mean, Tony Scott was, a, was, you know, unfortunately he was, he was taken too soon. Um you know, that was, uh, I mean, I've been very blessed. And, and those are the people I get excited about working with. I get excited about working with great filmmakers. You know what I mean? I've, I've worked with Walter Hill and I've worked with Clint Eastwood twice, Alejandro, uh, you know, Tony Scott, Lassa Holstrom. I mean, just, you know, just filmmakers. And, uh, and, and I put Sean Hader in that, in that same, in that same category. I mean, she's, uh, She's young, but I, I think she's going to be, she's definitely going to be a, a voice that is going to be heard, you know, far and wide in the industry. Yes, 100%. And we will make sure to link that film in, in the show notes so people can access it. Obviously, you need a subscription to Apple TV Plus, right. but really, 
um, with all the other subscriptions that you have, you know, the cost of a cup of coffee a month or a day, <laughs> it's really minimal in comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think as consumers of content, obviously, because I do this, it's easy for me, but really just broadening our horizons as far as what we watch. Because today, you know, there's the tentpole projects, there's the superhero projects, which are all great things, but really to get a story um, that's different and special, I think is important. And and that brings me to Kevin Kneff himself because that again was just really different. And, and from what I understand, that was kind of like something that came to you during the pandemic ish kind of, and then you just yeah, happened we, to be in the same area where it was filming. So you're like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> it, it, it literally shoots up the street from my house. Wow. Um, we were in the middle of the pandemic. My agent calls me and says, Hey, you got an offer to do this, this show. And, um, and I, you know, the, the, the role is, you know, I mean, the role is a role that I've done a thousand times. Uh, so there was really nothing there for me that was, um, that challenging or, you know, uh, at least I thought at the time, um, but I, I found the idea of it going back from, um, you know, conventional camera to a three camera comedy throughout yeah. the throughout the entire process because I've never done three camera comedy. I've okay. never I've never been a part of that world. So um, that was the thing that kind of got me interested in the project. I, you know. I've never, I've never done three camera comedy and it's hard if you don't have like, see, I'm not a guy who has a big theater background. You know, I haven't done, you know, a hundred plays. And so for me, it's a, it's a, it's a completely different animal. Um, and it was a great, it was a phenomenal experience. It's a great show. I think it's, it got, they just got picked up for a second season. Uh, you know, great cast. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I don't know if I'll be back. Uh, you know, there, but, um, I think it's, uh, I think it's a good show. And I think, you know, it's very interesting, a very interesting concept to have, um, you know, to, to have, uh, a show go from a three camera comedy to, to, you know, a conventional drama, you know, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I found it very fascinating show. It was just very interesting. And I think even one of the press folks as like breaking bad meets king of queens kind of and it kind of makes you think about the fact that you know what these people could be like in a sort of alternate reality one last question kevin as we wrap here i know you've you've been a part of so many other projects and we've talked about some iconic moments but really when you started out and we're kind of working your way and finding your way through this world of acting was there ever a moment where you received some advice or you spoke to somebody and they imparted something to you that really kind of stuck with you and sustained you on your trajectory as, as an actor throughout your career, or maybe even advice you've given to somebody else as you work with younger actors and they come up to you and they know you from, you know, person of interest or mystic river, some of these great projects that we've mentioned. You know, it was funny when, um, when I worked with, with, with Clint Eastwood on Mystic River, um, you know, I was, 
I mean, I've been a huge Clint Eastwood fan my entire life as a kid growing up. I have, you know, I've seen every one of his movies, the good, bad, and the ugly that, you know, uh, everything. Um, so I said to him one day, you know, I, uh, I said, Clint, I said, give me, uh, give me, give me some advice. Give me something that, you know, I can take with me. That's going to help me on my journey. Um, <laughs> and he just looked at me and he said, listen, and walked away. Wow. And I was, you know, and at first I'm like, listen, and I'm like, then I thought about it. And I'm like, mm, that's really what it is. It's just listening to what's being said to you and responding to it truthfully. Um, and that was, you know, that was probably the, the, the most simple piece of advice, but it had probably the most impact on me as an actor. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of gold in that nugget, especially coming from somebody uh, like Clint Eastwood. I mean, just... I'm looking at this, you know, and thinking all the people that you've worked with and all the directors, and that has to be, you know, just, I mean, I don't know. That's even for me as a, as an interviewer, I'm thinking, well, there's a lot of application there. I think uh, when you're talking to people and having truthful and honest conversations like this, you know, I mean, I try to take something away from every experience that I've had and every, you know, I mean, like, you know, working with Jonathan Nolan, a person of interest, you know, I mean, there's a guy who, um, you know, he just, he just thinks on a whole nother level, you know, he's, uh, brilliant, you know, he, to go from person of interest and go and in, 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 uh, create Westworld, you know, I oh. mean, when I remember when we were doing person of interest, he was telling me about Westworld. I remember the film with Yul Brenner as a kid, you know, and, uh, and I'm like, wow, that's interesting, you know? And then, to see the show, what do you, I think he got 22 Emmy nominations his first season. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, and his, and what's crazy is his wife, Lisa Joy, is smarter than him. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, so I've, I've taken something like, you know, Tony Scott. I mean, there was, a, you know, there was another experience that I was just um, mind boggling. I mean, you look at the body of that man's work, you know. Um, of course, I did Unstoppable with him, but I mean, he did. Top Gun, True Romance, Deja Vu, Man on Fire, Crimson Tide. I mean, you know, a, dire a director today could hang their hat on one of his films. And this guy just kept spitting him out, spitting him out. And I find the bigger name director that you work with, the more collaborative the process is, you know. Um you know, they know that it's a clay, you know, not one person is going to make a film. It's a, it's a collaborative process and that's what makes a great film. You know, um, not everyone has the best idea, you know, it's, you got to put it out there and, and, and kick it around and, and talk about it. And, um, you know, I know there, are, especially in television, there's not a lot of opportunity to do that. So what I would try to do is I would try to do it when the camera wasn't rolling at lunch or, you know, We'd see each other in the hallway or something like that. Um, that's when I would always run my ideas up the up the flagpole, you know. Um, like a person of interest, there was a there was a there was an episode where Fosco, my character Fosco, goes on a date, and uh, and I, and my wife wasn't very happy. My wife goes, "Let me get this straight. You pitched one idea to the executive producer, <laughs> and it was you your character going on a date. The one thing that sticks." <laughs> But you know, it, it, the um, that show specifically was so. Um, it was a show that it it, it 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 could have flown into 
the land of disbelief at any moment because you had this billionaire. You didn't know really how much money he had. You had this black ops you know, operator. You didn't really know what his military background was. Um, you know, you had so many things going on. You had this machine that gives you um, numbers of people that are you know, potentially either going to be, you know, a perpetrator or a victim of a crime. Um, so it, you know, I felt like we needed to just bring it back to some mundane life stuff, you know, to give all the rest of that stuff, um, a sense of reality. So, um, you know, it was just, like I said, so it's, it's a collaborative process and that's when, when, you know, you able to collaborate with people like that on that level, it's, it makes your job just the best job in the world. Yeah, it's funny while you're talking about that, my mind is going back. I remember that episode and I actually binged this, you know, during the lockdown when all of us were at home and, and had absolutely nothing to do uh, because I had ran out of shows to watch and it was on my list. And so such a great show that was, you know, and just really I think it was definitely ahead of its time as far as what you guys were tackling, as far as, you know, how all of everything worked and how you were pursuing cases and things like that and um you know i don't know maybe we'll get a i don't want to use the term reboot but with all the shows that are being pumped out these days it would be nice to maybe see that one come up i don't know you might have a different opinion about it but i mean i think you know jonathan nolan is 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 such a you know such a great not only filmmaker but you know producer of television um, you know, he's not, you know, he's him and his brother, Christopher, both, they, they, you know, work together and stuff on, on projects like, you know, Jonah helped write the Batman trilogies with his brother. And, you know, the, the film Memento was from a, 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 a paper that Jonah did in college. You know, they, wow. they're, they're constantly kicking the ball around, uh, between them. And, um, you know, he's, he's not a guy that would revisit. At least he doesn't strike me as the type of person who would revisit something that he's already done. You know, um, they're the type of people that I've done that. Let's move on. Let's do something different. You know? Yeah, I like that. I think that's smart. Um, at least from my humble perspective, you know, right. I mean, retellings or reboots, they're happening. They're not terrible, but right. I do like it when people decide to not go back to the well necessarily all the time. Yeah. I don't know, you know, there's the Cobra Kai thing where that's right. totally gone into a different world. But mm -hmm. this particular show, yeah, I mean, it would be hard to imagine perhaps them trying to like fix it or whatever. Yeah, it starts to feel like just a money grab is what it feels sure. like. Oh, you yeah. I mean? It becomes more about about money than it does the content, you know. Um, and it's, you know, it's just not fair. It's just not fair to the viewers. You know. Yeah, there are some things where you watch it and you're just like, okay, this was clearly, you know, mm -hmm. let's ride the train right. into town. <laughs> Speaking of <laughs> unstoppable, yeah, um, <laughs> which is I unintended joke there, but you know, yeah. it just keeps going and going and going and right. doesn't stop until yeah. something casual. You, minute, you know, speaking you know, of happens. unstoppable, a lot of people don't realize that that was a true story. Yeah, no, no, I remember yeah, it happened about the same them. week as nine eleven. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, it got buried in the press. Yeah. But if that train had derailed, there would have been about 100,000 people that would have been wiped off the face of the earth. That's such a great movie, Ethan Suppley. I mean, just the cast, you know, you and Denzel and just like um, 
and I Chris, it, Chris Pine, I thought did a great job. Oh yeah, I mean, and I don't know. There's just something about the Scott movies, you know, that are just so different. You know, Domino. I don't actually. I don't know if Domino was a Scott movie, but that was that was a Tony Scott movie. Okay, Tony Scott. Yeah, yeah I mean. Mm-hmm. Just even as of late, you know, even the when they dip their toes into television, just that iconic, you know, the dolly, the circle shots, mm-hmm. you know, the jump cuts and the kind of odd colors, way things change, you know, and mm-hmm. things are just, um, yeah. I mean, I could go on for hours. He had, he had a very <laughs> interesting way of, of um, so in the opening of Unstoppable, my character is in the tower. So how the whole thing is my character tells uh, Ethan's character to move a train off the track because we've got some kids coming in and then yeah. what happens, he moves the train off the track and they have um, what they call this dead man switch. And when you're, when you're driving a train every, I think it's every minute, you have to hit this switch to know that, that you're okay to drive the train and um, somehow it became engaged. Um, but, the shot of my character in the tower was taken from about 200 yards away. Wow. Tony Scott had this lens. It was called the Hubble lens that he got from it. It had a NASA sticker on it. So I think he got it from somebody at NASA <laughs> and shot it to, and it was like over 200 yards away. And it, it was a close up. And it was, you know, I mean, this, he used to just think on a completely different level than everyone else. And, uh, geez, I really loved working for that guy. He was just the greatest guy. And yeah. such an incredible filmmaker. Yeah, all of those movies that you mentioned, Man on Fire, I mean, just all. Deja Vu, Man on Fire, Crimson Tide. Um, uh, what was the one he did with Gene Hackman and Will Smith? Um, Enemy of the State. Yeah. Um, just, you know, just great, great films. Yeah, I was talking to Jake Busey last year during the pandemic, and he was talking about working uh, with Scott in just those movies that he did, and really, Jake just, was in Enemy of the State, I think he was. Yeah, yeah. we laughed yeah. about that quite a bit, yeah. actually. Uh, just the fact that they like take over this town, and there's helicopters flying around, and just you yeah. know, pure madness when he was directing a movie. And uh, I think he asked, you know, how do you want me to do this or do that? He goes, you do that, you think, mm-hmm. you figure it out. And then we're, we got this over here that we're dealing with, yeah. you know, trying to, to get all of the things that you need to do to film a, a big movie like that, you know, airspace approval and just whatever. Um, it man. was funny on, uh, on Unstoppable, I, I recall, um, he asked me what I thought about something. I can't remember what the shot was, but he was like, what do you, what do you think we should do about that? How do you think we should cover this? And, and, you know, we came to some type of agreement. And as he walked away, I leaned into Rosaria Dawson and I said, is this his first film? (laughs) (laughs) But you know, that, that was what's so great about Tony Scott was like, everybody collaborated, you know, it was, it was a collaboration. It was never, you know, I'm the director and, you know, I mean, at the end of, end of the day, you know, it's his decision, but um, he did something that no other directors ever done. He was an artist, right? Yeah. So you would get your sides in the morning and he would draw on this, on the sides, a sketch of your character in the space 
and where he was going to cover you with the camera. So he would storyboard the sides all the way down and then hand it to you in the morning, which no director has ever done that. And it's just, it was just mind blowing. I still actually have some of the storyboards downstairs in a, in a, in a footlocker with, you know, that were drawn by Tony Scott. Wow. Very fascinating. Kevin, I really appreciate your time. This has been just an iconic moment for us in the show and just hearing some of these uh, great stories. And and folks, if you're listening and watching, please make sure to watch Coda. It's a beautiful film. And uh, we've got hopes for that with Academy Award nominations all across the board. Kevin Chapman, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out. Go home.